Welcome to episode 80 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> As well you should be. This is a very, very special episode. Why is that? Well, to begin with, we're broadcasting almost live from almost. high above the Mellow Mushroom. What's in... almost live? <laughs> well, I mean, we're here together, okay. live. Mm-hmm. Well, is, that, is that really the first time you've asked that question, Mondo? I've been you've waiting been for saying that for like the last 30 episodes. Well, I know. I've been wondering for the last 80. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, we'll actually broadcast live and okay. take live telephone calls and okay. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That'll be great. Mm-hmm. But until then, you, really, you, you could have proved this was such a spiritual show with the almost live that we each did this live on different days, and it just happened to sync together that all the conversations <laughs> were this perfectly yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, you blew that one there, Chief. Okay. All right. Con- continue, well, Benny. And for now, <laughs> for now, we'll. <laughs> Oh, man. For now, we'll settle for almost live from high above the Mellow Mushroom in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. We have a couple of special guests with us, extra special guests with us here in the studio. Mondo, uh, would you introduce uh, the man to your left there? Yeah, man. We've got uh, my little brother. David Grimes, the one and only. The yes. man. In from South Bend, Indiana. The football legend. The, the football legend at uh, number 11 in Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's here on vacation, and I'm wearing him out, running around with me, so probably doesn't feel like a vacation. <laughs> but we're, have, we're having a great time, man. So, Welcome, David. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm getting into, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and to That's my right. Spirit. Oh, yeah. Michael John Cusick, Michael Cusick, uh, author of my new favorite book. We're going to be talking about surfing for God. Awesome. And uh, the, uh, the, the director of Repairing the Soul? Restoring, Restoring the Soul. Restoring the Soul. Yeah. <laughs> Repairing the Soul of Shoes. <laughs> yeah. Restoring the Soul, which, as you said, is not a shoe repair business. That's correct. Yeah. It, but yeah. in Littleton, Colorado, and author of a fantastic book. I'm really looking forward to uh, our conversation today. Cool. So what's on the agenda, Aaron? What, what do you want to do today? Wow. He wants is... to have another plate of jambalaya. Uh, yeah, during the break, I will go eat up another breakfast plate of jambalaya, mm-hmm. refill my mint medley tea. Uh, that's all I got, man. That's a hard question at this hour. Well, we got a lot of options. Have... Well, we haven't, we haven't been together in a while, so we, we have some options. We, have, yeah. we can do a mini-meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Um, uh-huh. couple, we need to catch up with Nate. In his travel schedule. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably ought to report in a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And a little bit about what you've been doing out there, man. Okay. Well, right. let's do it. So you pick the order. You're you're in the admiral's chair today, among the Grimes. Okay. Let's do a mini meeting after this. Let's, okay. Let's catch up with Nate. Okay. What have you been right. doing? You've been gone for like a month, man. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, moving around. I've, you know, I I've, I've decided that this year I'm going to see how many Samson meetings uh, I can visit. Okay. And I'm only a little more than a month into that new project, and I've already come to the conclusion there's an awful lot of Samson meetings. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to visit all these groups, but I'm having a, a fantastic time. Cool. Uh, Allie and I spent a couple weeks in Florida visiting groups uh, throughout the state, uh, in Jacksonville and Ocala and Tampa and Miami. And, uh, it's so exciting to see uh, groups of men uh, traveling together, making progress, really actually doing the deal. Yeah. And uh, it's been a great encouragement to me, and I think that uh, my showing up has been uh, an encouragement to the guys as well. Just got so back. What, what, what hmm? if, hold on. What have, what have the groups looked like? Are they all, <clears throat> I mean, flavor-wise? I'm just curious. Here in these different states, different places, different sizes of groups of guys, you walk in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. A, like, for example, uh, <clears throat> I visited a great group uh, in Miami okay. uh, where we met, you know, we met uh, outside around a, you know, on a pool deck on a beautiful, uh, you know, Florida evening. There's about 30 guys there. Uh, they do something that they call uh, the, uh, the eagle and child. 
uh, and I really want to share this. In fact, we'll get Marcos Ruiz on the podcast to talk about what he does with his guys on Eagle and Child. It's a way for their, their they've got a tight group, but it's also a way for them to integrate uh, other guys into uh, an ongoing conversation. Okay. Uh, and they they do it around uh, cigars and uh, adult beverages. Yeah. Uh, they totally wasted a great Cuban cigar on me. Mm. Uh, Shame I, on you. I know. I did. Uh, <laughs> I had. I. I. I love secondhand cigar smoke, uh, but I, I only made it about. I only made it about a third of a way through this. Uh, what I'm certain was a fantastic Cuban cigar. Uh, and they, uh, uh, <clears throat> anyway, so ter- <laughs> terrific bunch of guys down in Miami yeah. who are innovating, uh, and in each other's lives in a remarkable way. You know, uh, two days later, I think, I was in Sarasota. Was it Sarasota? I think so. South of Tampa, anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isn't that where the uh, average adult beverage is Geritol? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you just lost us a demographic. Come on. Now, these guys have been meeting for uh, a couple of years, but they meet in in a picnic shelter. Okay. At a park. Okay. They just pull the tables into a circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a big group. I think there were maybe ten guys there. Okay. But these guys in each other's lives in a radical way. Good. Really walking together tight. Okay. No bull brotherhood. It yeah. was inspiring to be with them. Had a fantastic time. With them. Awesome. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, visited the boys again in Palatka there. They've done a couple of 48 hours of frankness, and now they're looking at kind of a 48 2.0. Okay. Sat with them a little bit and strategized on how to do their next retreat. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was a, that was a great trip. Just got back from a trip to uh, California. I was in Vacaville, California, outside of San Francisco. About 900 guys at a retreat there over the weekend. I didn't know when I got there that they already had a Samson meeting going. It's been running for about eight months. Okay. So got to hang with some of those Samson guys, and then they got to introduce um, our way of life to the, the men in their church. It was a tremendous weekend. After that, went down to hang with the boys in San Jose in the South Bay uh, part of San Francisco. Uh, met them for dinner at a guy's house, maybe a dozen, 14 guys, I think, at that group. And again, to hear, you know, their testimony of what it's been like now. They started after I spoke at a conference uh, three years ago. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, wonderful stories of transformed lives, mm-hmm. fellas walking together. Cool, so it's inspiring. I leave tomorrow for Phoenix and be speaking down there, uh, doing a men's retreat for a Covenant Community Church going to meet with some Samson groups while I'm there. Going to meet with the True Faced guys, which I'm very excited about cool. in uh, in Scottsdale. When I get back, we'll be home a day, and then it's off to China, mm-hmm. taking uh, Kyle Rigsby, my Silas. We're going to go do a 48 Hours of Frankness China style for 50 guys outside Beijing. There you go. Wow. And uh, and then more on the calendar. We get back, I think, about we got a couple of days rest before it's off to the next thing. Cool, man. So you're busy. Yeah. Okay. Busy, busy, busy. What's up with you, Porter? What are you doing, man? Well, it's, it's hard to follow that up. You yes. sound like you have an interesting life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still stuck on that whole picnic shelter group because I used to do a men's group at a at a park until one day a guy came up to me. There were like ten guys there. He came directly to me in the middle of our Samson group and said, hey, can I buy some chronic off of you? <laughs> Which really I've still been unpacking for years. Why me out of all of these people did he yeah. choose to ask for chronic? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, what have I been doing? Well, I've just, uh, you know, I, did, did we even talk about me changing vocations while I was there? <laughs> or not vocations, but I, I don't remember how much we talked about. So, yeah, I've been uh, looking, starting this new ministry to pastors, trying to get that up and running so that has been taking a lot of time and trying to finish this novel that I've been working on for a year and a half and it just keeps going and going and going it is the never-ending book but uh, we see a light at the end of the tunnel hoping two weeks from now to be done with that draft and 
So, yeah, just a lot of lot of writing and talking. That's it. That's my life, writing and talking. Very simple. <laughs> Fill us in, yes. Rhonda. What, what do you got going? Uh, just real busy, man. A lot of, a lot of travel coming up. Uh, like you, yeah, um, and uh, a lot of projects. We oh, good report, man. We finished the Cambodia project. That yeah, percent. The CDs uh, are in. Actually, Woo-hoo! yeah, those, those boxes right behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirty-four hundred units came in, and uh, we sold twelve hundred in under a week. Wow! So wow, come so, on. Yeah, so twelve hundred times ten bucks. Yeah goes to the home uh, so if we write a check to them actually you know they have a, an account here they open up a Wells Fargo account yeah here and uh, so we can just go deposit the money straight into uh, to their account so it's awesome man we're, we're pretty excited and since then we're not going to go back in May with a group of women uh, from a group called uh, Solomon's Porch mm-hmm. um, uh, Jeff Fisher's wife Julie Fisher's in, in this group and bunch of other uh, high-profile women, yeah, and uh, they asked John and I to go and kind of escort them since we've kind of been there, done that, yeah, and uh, and so they invited us to go with them in May. So we're pretty excited, man. It's gonna be good. Oh, that's superb. It's gonna be good, man. So, so, yeah. so how how does it feel to be done with this project? Yes, it's been a labor of love, man. I mean, it's it's been uh, it's so it's probably the most satisfying feeling with doing any project I've ever worked on. I mean, it's. It's uh, it means more to me than any major label thing or any TV thing or hearing something on the radio. It it means more to me than any of that. I mean, and f- for new listeners to our yeah. podcast, just yeah. describe for us the CD project. Okay, well, uh, about it, back in August, I had the idea of well, I think the Lord gave me the idea. So I need you to do something with your gift that actually means something. Mm. And and he described basically what I do is like a vapor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sell things that people can't see. Yeah. And the experience it gives you, you pay me for that brief experience for three to four minutes, and that's it. Yeah. But what can you do with your gift that's actually going to benefit somebody in a very real way? So, yeah. So the idea was to, what if we raise a standard in the music community, try to figure out a way to record a project and get 100% of the money to an organization that needs the money? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we identified the She Rescue Home in Cambodia. And we decided to partner with them. They were down with it. We went over there back in November with the help of a lot of our Pyramont guys and, mm-hmm. and churches that we're all affiliated with. And everybody, you know, came alongside to help help us get there. We came back, recorded recorded the rest of the CD. We recorded the girls over at the home as yeah. well. Um, came back after mixing, editing, finishing all the songs. Uh, the money was donated for manufacturing. Artists donated the songs, right? Yeah, artists donated songs. You know, Nashville musicians donated their time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you name it. Graphic artists in the music industry donated their time. You name it. From from left to right, everything was donated. Yeah. And, uh, so that allows us to get this thing finished. Right. And we don't owe anybody anything. Mm. So every single dollar can go to this home. So you know, if you think about over there, the exchange rate is four thousand to every dollar. Wow. Four thousand real to every dollar. Yeah. So think about what we just did. You know, twelve hundred units times ten bucks. Yeah. Times four thousand. Wow. There you go. You know what I mean? So, uh, so we're hoping to really fulfill their needs and change the culture uh, yeah. with the you know the home and the directors and the people who manage the place and really help them expand, do things they need to do, you yeah, know, replace their vans, all the kind of stuff they need to get done. So right, right. Uh, and they're ministering to teen and preteen girls. Yeah, girls uh, ages five to fifteen who've been rescued from human trafficking, um, and mainly sex trafficking. Yeah, there's, you know, human trafficking is a couple different areas. Right. Uh, but mainly sex trafficking. And uh, the, right now they have 24 girls living in the home. They have a home called a transition home. There are four girls living in the transition home that are that are right about at the point to go back into society. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously a lot of needs. Um, yeah. In Cambodia, their laws are very loose. Mm-hmm. Um, the government is pretty shady. Yeah. And uh, so there's, there's a lot that goes into keeping... Uh, the secrecy in, and also the identity hidden uh, from the government of who these girls are, and yeah. you know, even where their home is. Yeah, you know, it's it's so under the radar, it's crazy. So, yeah. uh, so it, it takes a lot of resources to go into you know, to accomplishing that. So we're able to help, and and even you know, I thank all the guys who who contributed, who helped, and donated, who uh, called me, emailed me, went on the the, uh, the website. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it means a lot to me, but definitely much more to the girls at that home. Okay, so. Okay, I'm trying to do the math still on the back of this Foster's poster. 
time. So, yeah. How how much did you just send to these people after like the first week? Uh, well, it's the twelve hundred CDs. Twelve hundred times ten bucks a piece. That's twelve thousand bucks times four thousand real. Yeah. Which is their their uh, their money. Which comes to Nate? Uh, forty-eight million real. Or four point eight million. Four point eight, I think. Four point eight million. All right, that's incredible. Yeah, that that's for all of you listeners out there who uh, who are more artistic <laughs> in nature. <laughs> and we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. I'm going to cue it again. Ready? And it's time no, no, for... No, no, you can't cue... You, this isn't a cue again. Everybody has to be a part of the reality of your guys' fluff. So let's just apologize and take to everybody, Nate and Mondor humans. This is the body of Christ. <laughs> okay. All right. Try again, you guys. Just try again. Okay, All go right, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. It is time now for the... Mini-mini! <laughs> okay, well, thank you. That. All right. I, welcome. Welcome to this mini-mini of the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We are also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strong men who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weakness. We have now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and hold whatever we say in strictest confidence. confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all those with Internet access. Yes. Mm-hmm. Relative confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them towards any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic today is control. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. Control. Control. Wow. Okay. All right. Tough topic. Yeah. I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. I'll jump in on control. Uh, yeah, the control is the one thing that I would really like to have. Um, I'd like to have control of my own destiny. 
I'd like to have control of my own addiction. In fact, uh, I first, you know, came into groups like this seeking control. I didn't want uh, relationship, really. Uh, I just wanted control. I felt out of control. Uh, I knew that this was a life-controlling behavior for me. And um, uh, so I came to, to find, uh, you know, the missing pieces to the puzzle, the, the, the silver bullet, that thing that was going to restore control to me. And uh, what a humbling experience to find out how little I actually can control. Uh, but how wonderful uh, over time as my faith continues to grow in the ability of a sovereign God actually uh, to control people, places, and events in the way they need to go for my good and His glory. Um, I still have the bad habit of trying, though, uh, trying too hard to... Uh, yeah, I have kind of a ring ma- ringmaster mentality. I do like to um, orchestrate things. And uh, I think it's I, I think it's it's good for us. It's good for me to take initiative and to be creative. But even in my creative endeavors, I think I have to hold those things loosely. I have a habit of writing scripts and then trying to direct uh, people in conversations. Uh, to follow the script I've written. Uh, And it's important that I uh, hold that script very loosely and allow somebody else to make modifications as they go along. When I do that, uh, the story usually turns out better than I had planned. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of vague. I'm not talking very specifically out of my own experience. I might jump back in later. I'll stop right there. I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Well, I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Yeah. I'm kind of trying to decide whether or not to use this example because I'll probably have this conversation two more times today to process this. I am definitely a control addict from a very young age. Um, and probably three months ago was sitting down with a a soul care coach person and she asked me why I kept phrasing certain parts of stories in a certain way in kind of a a big uh, over-the-top kind of way and I didn't really have an answer so even when I was hanging out there in in Tennessee with y'all I, I was very, very aware and watching how I was saying stuff. And I did it last night uh, in a meeting that I was in. And I woke up at like 3 in the morning and realized why I did it. I, I was the junior high kid that would not participate but go sit in the corner to see if people would stop participating and come sit with me to notice that I wasn't participating and prove their love to me which when I became a youth pastor, I saw was the most pathetic and annoying thing on the face of the earth. Uh, And I realized when I stated what I said last night to this particular guy that I was in a meeting with, I was testing him, A, to see if he would push back against this like over the top, in the face thing that I gave him. If he didn't push back, then he was unworthy. And if he did, I just bottlenecked him into responding to exactly what I wanted him to respond to. So I've now controlled the whole trajectory of where we were going to go in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So in having this over-the-top way of communicating, it was just a more sophisticated plan on how to be the junior hire sitting in the corner. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel entirely good about that, but it was nice to understand that I was still capable and still actively doing that. So that's what I was thinking about with control. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. <clears throat> well, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Um, <clears throat> control for me the last few months uh, has actually been something I've been kind of struggling with. Um, 
but then had some release uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I kind of get to the point where, you know, I like I like things to make sense, and usually when in my mind, control things means I'm making sense of my life and making sense of events and making sense of these relationships, these opportunities, or whatever. But I found myself extremely stressed out because things weren't uh, following the plan, uh, and it was so much management and micromanagement to redirect the plan back on to on, onto the the path that I created. And I found myself missing out on so many blessings, opportunities, things that I didn't know were coming because I was so focused on controlling things to then micromanage it back to where I wanted it to be. And uh, and so actually my wife brought to my attention, you know, it was like you just seem heavy and stressed out and have been the last couple of months. And I really couldn't give her an answer of why. Mm. There was nothing, there was no, you know, nothing devastating going on. There was no... Uh, major event, but it was just this 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 heaviness, and um, so I figured I'll try something. Let me just be a good steward of the things that are in front of me, and whatever's not in front of me, just almost don't care. Mm-hmm. Just kind of let it ride, kind of get on the roller coaster and see what happens. And since then, I kind of feel like a retard because I mean I've been missing out on all this, mm-hmm. and. It's, it, it boggled me because the more I let go, the more peaceful I felt. It's kind of weird. It, it's uh, I guess that's faith. <laughs> you know, uh, that's 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 trusting in the the not me, but trusting in the one who created me. Mm. And and uh, it's it's a process. It's, it's a balance though, because it's not. I didn't let go to the point where I'm letting things in front of me fall through the gaps, and you know and. You know, I'm, I'm still maintaining good stewardship, but at the same time, I'm not squeezing it so hard to where all the life is being, you know, squeezed out of it. Kind of like a you know, holding a bird or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and but I, what I found, man, it's just I don't, I don't know. It's kind of like uh, the the blank has been pulled up, you know, because now I can really see what's going on around me versus trying to micromanage. Well, this makes sense. I need to be doing this by next week. That needs to happen because I did that. Because I did that, they're going to do this for me. And when they do that for me, then I'm going to do this over here. You know, just trying to play chess. And and it's like, man, that's stressful. That is stressful. And so um, so I've tried to let go. Well, I have let go. And I found it's a much more peaceful place to, to live in. It's definitely, um, it, it's, it can be nerve-wracking sometimes be, to be straight. It can be nerve-wracking sometimes, but it's more peaceful. It's more nerve-wracking to try to control everything. Because um, the reality is we can't control everything. We can't control everybody. We can't control people's words and actions and all that. And trying to do so with our puny little brains is just ridiculous. And uh, so uh, so control is interesting that we're talking about that because that's something that I've been dealing with the last last few months. So I'm Mondo. Thanks, Thanks Mondo. Mondo. Yep. Thanks, Mondo. I'm Michael. And hey. Uh, hey, Mike. I'm Lifelong issues with control. Um I think there's two kinds of people in the world. There's, and I'm, I'm actually both of them. But there's uh, people who eat chocolate cake for breakfast and wish they wouldn't, and then people who shudder at the thought of chocolate cake for breakfast, but who should probably try it and, uh, and do it more often. And so my life has been like that, where I'm, I'm out of control and doing things I wish I wouldn't, and then other ways where I'm in control uh, and holding on really tightly and, and wishing that I could let go and. Just a real immediate example is uh, I'm aware of where the control plays out the most in ways where I, I wish I wouldn't do things is in relational settings. And so I'm kind of a <clears throat> visitor here in town, and I just met Nate today at Starbucks. And one of the ways that control plays out is you know, making sure I look good, making sure I'm kind of coming out as being liked and affirmed. and. Um, I, I'm, I'm really good at being funny if I need to be, and so I can kind of flip the switch. And for me, it's a real fine line between that being free and loving and coming from a good place in my heart and uh, and, and using that as a kind of uh, strategy to get affirmation and affection from people. And so as I'm here today, I just kind of want to bring it to the light that, that there's a part of me that I really like to be and sometimes need to be in an unhealthy way, liked and affirmed by other men. And uh, that's how control plays out for me. 
Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Well, my name is David. Hey, David. Hey, David. Hey, David. And um, in my experiences, I've, I've come to know that, especially when I was younger, that I thought I could control everything. Um, everything in the sense of the people around me and my own situation. But as I got older, I started to realize that the less I actually controlled. Um, but one thing that I did have control over was my effort and my attitude. Um, and I can kind of relate this sports since sports was a focus in my life I was in a hard time where I wasn't as playing I wasn't playing as much as I would like and um, I was kind of sitting to myself and I was thinking well this can go two ways you know I can give everything I got or I can just fold and you know I don't come from a family of quitters so the first thing I, I decided to do was to change my outlook on things try to make the best of the situation. And then on top of that, the next thing I wanted to do was control my effort. Um, and then hopefully the chips may fall where they may, you yeah. know. So that's my little piece on control is, you know, just to control your, you know, well, I have the ability to control my own attitude and my own effort. And yeah. then hopefully things will work out for you in the, you know, the best case scenario. But thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. And we'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast with our special guest, Michael Cusick. interview uh, <laughs> I don't like the sound of that <laughs> I'm so excited to have Michael Cusick in the room I got I got this book in the mail a few months ago and I get books in the mail okay. from time to time and um, you know and people want me to read them and maybe endorse them and uh, it, sometimes it's you know it's a bit of a pain but people did it for me so I read books well I gotta tell you this book showed up called Surfing for God. Uh, and uh, I got more excited with every page. Uh, here was a man who uh, really understands uh, the struggle against pornography especially. A guy uh, who, who was vulnerable enough to share uh, pieces of his own story. But uh, who has a tremendous fund of wisdom and experience and a gift for expressing it. Uh, and I'm not alone in my enthusiasm. I did. I wrote a highly enthusiastic endorsement for the book, which is not out yet. However, I looked on Amazon the other day, and you can pre-order this sucker at a phenomenal discount. I don't know who's thinking what, but you can buy Surfing for God today for $6.50 or $0.57, something like that on Amazon. Uh, I have one of those pre-publication copies, those rare copies, that uh, I will get signed, by the way, Michael. Special. Um, not alone in my enthusiasm, uh, John Eldridge, who does not endorse books, endorsed this one. And uh, there's a, a, a real buzz building about surfing for God. And uh, so anyway, Michael found his way to Middle Tennessee. He's coming here to meet with the publisher. The book is being published by Thomas Nelson. He was kind enough to come and join us here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome, Michael. Yeah, welcome. welcome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's great to be here. And uh, part of me just wants to say, Argy! <laughs> <laughs> when there's the pirate theme just yeah. running throughout this meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So we had a brief conversation. You joined me at Starbucks for 30 minutes before we got here, and we'll go have lunch after. But uh, I got to. You told me that uh, you attended your first AA meeting at the age of five. Uh, unpack that for us, will you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad. Uh, he was. He was just getting off the bottle. So. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. There's there's nothing else to say. Uh, My Uh, my dad has uh, had uh, 42 years of continuous sobriety in AA and was involved in the program uh, uh, for many years before that without continuous sobriety. He was the youngest of seven Irish Catholic kids. Uh, Every one of them was an alcoholic except for his sister, who was a cloistered nun. And I can't speak for whether she had anything behind the cloister. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, my dad worked two full-time jobs, and one of the ways that I got to spend time with him was to go to AA meetings. And uh, so he was a treasurer and made coffee at the meetings. And I remember uh, that early, going to meetings, and that's when I started my first addiction of drinking coffee at the meetings. So I've, I've really been immersed in the 12 steps and been involved in a number of ways. And uh, even in the last couple of years, been involved in some uh, 12-step groups for uh, in eating addiction. So uh, it's been a lifelong process. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, uh, you did discover pornography at one point in your life. That's right. I was uh, I was four years old, and uh, I had an uncle that uh, uh, exposed me to pornography, sexually abused me, and uh, in fact used me in some pornography that he was involved as a sadistic uh, person creating back mm. in the 1960s. Wow, wow, wow. And it just it just took off from there. Yeah, yeah. So uh so you found yourself uh you know addicted and victimized by this uh by this pornographic monster that uh, so many of us, not everybody in Samson, but a lot of us have had experience with this deal. Uh and eventually, uh, found your way to found your way to freedom. Uh, now that was today. You're 47 years old. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you were you were active in this addiction in the pre-internet days, right? That's correct. I thank God every day that uh, I found my recovery and freedom prior to to getting involved in the internet. Yeah, but you work every day. With uh, with guys uh, who with contemporary addictions, and you have tremendous insight uh, into the special uh, power. Uh, what 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 really makes internet uh, pornography the crack cocaine of the business? Yes, you know, talk about that a little bit for us. Yeah, uh, I'll kind of cut to the chase and say that uh, that the internet porn is different from the DVDs and the VHSs and the magazines that you and I might have grown up with or cut our teeth with in our addictions in that, um, I I say it this way in the book, that uh, if those things, the old fashions of porn were like uh, the the Wright Brothers plane at Kitty Hawk, that internet porn is like a a high-speed supersonic jet. And uh, although supersonic jets are good for military use and high-speed travel, you don't want one landing in your backyard. And Mm -hmm. with internet porn, that's kind of what happens, is that this this high-powered, incredibly forceful, uh, thing takes over your life and it, it lands in your life and it's largely because our brains uh, get wired for pornography in that it, it, it really overstimulates our brain which creates cravings through dopamine being released and then our capacity for the parts of our neurons that that are called uh, dopamine receptors those get diminished so you have an increase on the one side of chemicals that create desire and craving and a decrease in the uh, chemicals that actually uh, allow you to be satisfied. And so it creates this vicious cycle neurologically of uh, always being hungry but never being able to be full. Mm. 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 Now, can that, can that be reversed? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have a, a chapter in the book. Uh, the book is a very holistic picture toward understanding Uh, not only our sexual brokenness and sexual compulsions, but really the human condition and what it means to be a broken person. And uh, the chapter on the brain talks about what I call rebooting and rewiring. And so just like you can reboot a computer, 
that's the process of stopping. Uh, there's, there's several things I recommend to walk through that. And then the rewiring process is a long-term ongoing process where the pathways that have been created uh, can actually be restored and renewed so that the compulsion is really diminished. Yeah, yeah. Now, years ago, Congress had a lot of trouble with this because they didn't want to call this, uh, you know, the pornography addiction. They, they were careful about words they wanted to use because all of a sudden that would make it, you know, put it in categories with drugs, things like that. And Nate, I don't know, did you get that article I sent you earlier in the week? No, I did not. Okay, there was, there was an article just this week. Uh, some book was just put out, and I guess David Duchovny was on the cover, and he was very upset about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the book was about someone uh, writing that sexual addiction is not an addiction. Uh, did, yeah. mm-hmm. did you get did you get that one? Yeah, I did, I did. Nate? Okay, yeah, I remember that. Yes, yes. So you want to summarize it, Nate? No, I didn't read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a very busy week. (laughs) And you summarized it. If I can comment on that, though, it's a a really uh, ever-increasing issue in the mental health field. I'm a licensed professional counselor in addition to being a a spiritual director, and there is a a, a somewhat contentious argument whether uh, sex can actually be a quote-unquote disorder like other kinds of addictive behaviors. And so there are people in the mental health field that for different reasons believe, uh, you know, sex can't be an addiction. Mm-hmm. Well, and this this person's uh, main point, at least from this article, and maybe there was one in the book, was uh, alcohol you can die from, drugs you can die from, uh, pornography and sex you can't die from. So therefore, it is calling it an addiction, like other addictions, uh, is just an excuse so that your wife won't leave you. There are people all around the world, uh, and probably people we know, that are dying from sex and from pornography and from uh, sexual brokenness. So I would I would differ, disagree just on that basis alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing will kill you. I've yep. lost friends to it, no doubt yep. about it. Absolutely. Um, the title of the book, Surfing for God, is, uh, is a reference to a very uh, famous quote by G.K. Chesterton, the man who knocks on the brothel door is looking for God. Right, right. And uh, one of the most fascinating things to me about the book is where you make the connection uh, between uh, these cravings, these destructive cravings that we develop, and the deeper longings that are planted within us, right. many of which we've turned away from. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you discovered that connection, where it's taken you in your own life, where you uh, and, the, and, and the approach you take with... with uh, the, the men and women, the sufferers that you work with? Well, first I have to say there was a recent movie called Soul Surfer, and uh, my book is called Surfing for God, and my ministry is Restoring the Soul, so I tell people right off, you will not read in this book about a girl getting her arm bit off by a shark. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, where does that happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, the Chesterton quote has meant a lot to me over the years, and uh, part of it was my my training, where I was heavily influenced and mentored and trained by Dr. Larry Crabb and Dr. Dan Elder back in the early 90s and studied with them doing an internship. And part of it is just my own reading, exposure to, to some of the, the myths, mystics and people that write about spiritual direction. Um, but I was in a cathedral in 1994. Uh, I, was, I was getting into my cycle of acting out. I would go into the downtown red light district, and I had this specific adult bookstore that I would go to. And I did the the cruising ritual of going around the block and around the block and around the block. And then this particular time, and it was just months before I was found out and discovered um, Mm. in in a profound way that would eventually bring me freedom. On that night... I, uh, I parked my car and I felt this strange compulsion to walk a block west of the adult bookstore. And there was the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in downtown Denver, this, this glorious cathedral where Pope John Paul had given mass. And uh, I, felt, I felt this compulsion to walk into those doors and into this cathedral and just sit by myself. And it was empty and hollow and it, and it echoed and uh, the lights were dimly lit. And that's where something happened to me where I saw this contrast between walking through the doors of the adult bookstore and walking into this cathedral and that they were both a a kind of act of worship Mm. and an act of surrender to something bigger than myself. And I wrote a poem that night um, 
uh, about that experience, and it really helped me to clarify um, what was really going on inside of me. Um, Thomas Aquinas said that uh, every sinful behavior is rooted in a legitimate God-given appetite. And so everything that I was looking for with pornography and all the other forms of sexual addiction that eventually played out with me, every one of those longings was really something like a longing for affirmation, for acceptance, for affection, for approval, for a sense of significance. And even in the moments when I would uh, be involved with prostitutes and, and pay escorts large sums of money that I, I couldn't afford, I remember being there, not wanting to have sex, but just aware of this burning craving inside of me of just wanting to be held. Mm. And of course, that's a God-given good longing. And because of abuse and because of uh, beliefs that I had about myself and self-hatred, uh, I was utterly incapable of experiencing that kind of good, healthy intimacy in any kind of way that was true, and mm. so I went in a direction where I could have that, back to the word control, where I could have uh, that longing seemingly fulfilled, but within my own control, without having to risk vulnerability and, and uh, the pains of intimacy. Wow, wow. And do you find that this is uh, fairly universal, the guys, uh, with, the, with the folks you work for, uh, that there is at least among Christians, a, a, a deeper longing and a deeper appetite that you can point them toward and help them to, to uncover? Absolutely. Um, and I believe it's there with non-Christians as well. I, I, I believe that we don't have a language for it. As you may well know, that when a man is wrestling with anything from garden variety lust to uh, a compulsion or addiction with porn to more severe forms of sexual addiction, generally speaking, a Christian man will say one of two things. You know, either I'm not spiritual enough, which leads to I need to read my Bible more, pray more, get more accountability, or I'm somehow not disciplined or not controlled enough. And the implication is then that if I get more control, more discipline, I'll be able to rein this in. Yeah. And um, and the, both of those uh, approaches really lead to frustration or pride, and they don't lead to, to freedom or to really living in the, the, the loving acceptance of our Creator. And so um, part of what I do with men on the front end is I try to give them a language for their soul and uh, a, a way of uh, understanding and knowing their inner world and their inner life. And one of the ways that I talk about why men are so drawn to porn is because we're, we're disconnected from our inner world and our inner life. And, uh, and porn brings us in touch with that so very quickly and so very powerfully. Mm, mm, mm. Um, sometimes Samson is described by people who don't know it very well or, or as an accountability group um, we always kind of wince at that because mm. while there certainly is uh, some I suppose some accountability that comes with being in relationship uh, classic accountability didn't work for us right you address that issue in the book talk to us a little bit about accountability and maybe a better way yeah, I, I wince at the word accountability, too. I've written an article called Taking Account of Accountability, and uh, I, I think that the Christian concept of accountability is, by and large, a massive failure, and it's almost become elevated to this new spiritual discipline. Do we need to be accountable to one another? Absolutely, but we need to do that in a way that has a, a substance and a richness to it. I talk about accountability on three levels. The first is uh, cop accountability, and this tends to be uh, very shame-based and legalistic and rule-oriented, and so cop accountability is, is uh, let's say I'm struggling with compulsive masturbation, I come to you, I ask you to hold me accountable, and when I'm with you, you're going to ask me questions about whether I masturbated, and uh, I'm going to tell you yes or no. The problem with that is that, personally, uh, I lied to people about that all the yeah. time. Addicts are great liars and deceivers, and we're self-deceived. Uh, the second thing, even if I'm honest, it really reinforces a shame-based sense of uh, I'm okay when I'm not doing that action, and mm. I'm not okay when I am. And uh, we can talk more about this, but shame is one of the huge things that keeps that addictive cycle in process. So uh, we do need people in our face. We do need people asking us hard questions, and therefore sometimes cop accountability is, is a needed thing. But we need to take it to uh, another level. The next kind of accountability is coach accountability, and rather than being shame-based, it's more based on exhortation and kind of coming alongside somebody and cheering them on. We all need that as well, 
we all need people to believe in us, but it's rather than based on uh, shame, it's more based on an external sense of encouragement. And in my recovery uh, at different times, I had that. Ultimately, what we need is not a cop or coach accountability, but what I call cardiologist accountability. And if, in fact, as Christ said, that sexual immorality, and I would argue all compulsion, comes out of the heart, then cardiologist accountability is sitting down with men who may not be trained therapists, spiritual directors, or experts, but who really, more than anything else, care about the heart and who are willing to uh, accept us as we are. They don't have an agenda to get us fixed. And even, although this might sound heretical, the primary agenda is not to manage sin or correct behavior. Mm -hmm. The primary agenda Mm -hmm. is to get to the core issues, the root issues, and that can only happen as we really learn to come alongside one another and speak to one another's hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, make ourselves uh, accessible to others rather than accountable to others. Absolutely. And so I I say that we need a model um, instead of accountability of accessibility. And, And I think that's scriptural. When God showed up in Genesis 3, uh, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit and uh, covered themselves with fig leaves, and he said to Adam, where are you? He wasn't holding him accountable. God showed up, uh, certainly Adam was accountable to God, but God showed up just wanting fellowship and relationship, and he didn't come with his ticket book to, to write them a citation. Um, He was pursuing relationship with them. And the problem was that although Adam was accountable to God, he wasn't accessible. His heart, his innermost being, was covered with fig leaves, and then he ran into the woods. And if he had made himself accessible, I wonder what that conversation would have looked like from the perfect, loving father to a son. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Aaron, you've been awful quiet. I am. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I was having a technical difficulty. I had to. Okay, you'll have to edit there, Mondo. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I. You know, I've just been enjoying the questions you're asking, Nate, and and I guess what I'm I'm most excited about is the the spiritual director perspective on this issue and giving a language to this mm-hmm. because I've certainly read this just from the experiential side. The people who have been in the middle of it have come out and talked about it and they've talked about it statistically but for you to give it uh, a language from the soul care perspective is so important and huge so I, I guess that's my question is what do you hope will will be different in offering this book to the church and to the world than the books that have come before because I'm already hearing some differences, but I'm curious from your heart, what are you hoping this is going to bring to the table? That's a great question, and I do believe that this is a unique book with a unique message. Um, and I, I wrote it to speak into a gap that I've seen missing in the literature about sex in general and men's understanding of it, but particularly with pornography and uh, sexual compulsion. On the one side, you have books like Every Man's Battle, which in and of itself is not a bad book. You know, it's sold millions of copies, and I think it's been helpful to many men. And yet for men that struggle with actual addiction and compulsion, um, my experience has been, as I've talked to so many men, that, that it actually sets them up for more failure because trying harder and doing things like starving your eyes and bouncing your eyes, again, no disrespect to that book, that it actually um, it, it makes the problem worse. So for Garden Variety Lust, it's a helpful tool, but there's, there's a number of books like that that help you to do what I would call sin management. That's Dallas Willard's uh, phrase from the book Divine Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. On the right. other side of the, the continuum, you have uh, a number of excellent books which are written from a pure recovery perspective. And as I said at the top of the program, uh, I'm, I've been immersed in 12 steps in recovery for my whole life, but I intentionally didn't write a recovery book Um, because I believe that there's this middle ground of evangelical Christianity that will never go to a recovery program Mm -hmm. and that they're frustrated with the just try harder sin management approach. And so I I wrote a book that would really help to give men a language for several things. Number one, for their soul and their inner life. Number two, a language to help men understand their brokenness, which is just absolutely critical. Brokenness is a word that in 
uh, Christian music and art and poetry and books, we've, we've talked about brokenness more and more in the last decade. Uh, but nobody really knows what brokenness is, so it's kind of become uh, a cliché. And then finally, giving, giving men an approach to, to walk this out that is really simply discipleship, deep discipleship of the heart, which means what does it mean for me to be a man who's hungry to know God, who's hungry to be in relationship with other brothers and to, to live out my sexuality and my masculinity? I can't wait to read it. I think that it's yeah. I think it's going to be really huge uh, for people to have that. And I know uh, just some of the people that you've that have influenced you. Uh, I know a lot of folks are not going to go to those books, nor are they going to know how to translate it to this issue. Right. So, uh, you being gifted to do that is a special gift to the bride. So that's well, thanks, and, it, and it's a combination. You know, I'm, I'm an academic by background. I was a full-time professor for five years, and I've, I've trained graduate students in counseling for 18 years. Um, but I'm also an addict, first and foremost. And so, yeah, I have some intellectual background with this, but I've really used all that to think through how to convey my own journey. And uh, and this is what I this is what I walk out in my own life. Wow. Yeah. Mondo, question for Michael or before yeah, I we a couple, but just keep rolling. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to work well, it out. Well, Michael, you know, as we as we spoke in Starbucks this morning, you said you put words to something that uh, that I believe is absolutely true. I think that uh, to put it in spiritual terms, I think the enemy, our ancient foe, has overplayed his hand uh, in uh, in regard to. Uh, the sexual assault upon our society and has created a rising sense of desperation within the church and within the culture itself that is opening an unprecedented door of opportunity for the gospel. I think it's created an appetite for freedom, uh, a desperation for an answer that we didn't have before. Absolutely. And that if we're willing to walk through that door and address the sexual issues directly, the gospel can have an impact in this generation that it was not able to have in a more uh, buttoned-down atmosphere of previous generations. Absolutely. Uh, I spoke at a a conference recently for a national ministry, and uh, my opening sentence was, people with sexual compulsions and addictions and in parentheses, that's all of us. Uh, we we are the next unreached people group. We are the mission field. Yeah, and and that includes brothers and sisters in Christ because we all need to come to a deeper understanding of the gospel. And the gospel is simply God's proclamation in Jesus of what He's like—that He's really good, that He's really kind, that He's really merciful, that He's a God that wraps His arms around us when when we move away from Him, that He's a God that's not intimidated by our shame. And so I do believe that we're, we're looking at something very, very exciting and potentially very powerful that is, uh, we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. I believe mm-hmm. that the kingdom is going to come through the freedom and the power of the gospel speaking to this issue because sexuality uh, is, is meant to actually reflect what God is like. Mm-hmm. Philip Yancey has written um, in uh, his, his, uh, a chapter in a book, uh, the chapter is called Designer Sex, and I quote this in the book, that we are perhaps never more godlike than in the act of sex mm. in terms of how two become one and how we reflect the Trinity. And so if we are meant to, through our sexuality, express something of the nature of God, would it be any surprise that that's what the enemy goes after? And would it be any so- surprise that, uh, that, that so many people are bound up in that? And that's the place where the gospel historically has not made much of a difference. We know the statistics that roughly uh, infidelity and adultery is as rampant in Christian men as it is in non-Christian men. And pornography is roughly equivalent to uh, the struggle that it is for non-Christian men. And so having a way of connecting the broken realities of our life to the reality of the gospel is really what I'm passionate about. Porn, sexual addiction, and addiction just gives me an excuse to talk about that. Yes, absolutely. That's it right there. That's it, yeah. This is a chance to talk about the gospel. Yeah. yeah. I get I get brought in all the time to talk about sex. 
Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah, all right? <laughs> yeah. But really, I come in to talk about the gospel. Yeah. I, uh, I taught a human sexuality class at Denver Seminary, and I told the students on the first day, this is not a class about sex. Yeah. It's a, it's a class about the nature of God, and it's a class about the gospel. And not the four spiritual laws of how to get saved, but the gospel that is not a reduced gospel, but a gospel that's a gospel of restoration. Yeah. That uh, when Jesus came to heal the blind and cast out demons and touch the sick and preach this good news of the kingdom that everyone is welcomed by this loving Father, that um, that that's gospel that means that that the forgiveness and Christ's work on the cross, which is absolutely central, is a doorway into a new way of doing life and walking so that we're no longer bound by shame, so that we no longer have to pretend mm-hmm. that we're better than we are, mm-hmm. so that we don't have, and I'm quoting Ken Davis, a, a talk he gave years ago, that, that we really truly have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, and nothing to lose. Yeah. And, and yet we don't believe that. And yeah. I didn't believe that for so much of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preach. Well, well, we have uh, run out of time and run full circle from Thomas Aquinas to Ken Davis here on the Pirate Monk podcast. And that's a big circle. All right. I, I do have something. All right, yeah. Final but, question goes yeah, to Mondo. Uh, it's kind of a, I want to tell you my observation and get your opinion. Yeah. Um, accountability, back to your conversation about accountability and shame-based, the accountability in other, other forms. Uh, in my observation, I've seen that in shame-based cop accountability, uh, there tends to be more devastation done in individuals, families, when that type of accountability is exercised. Um, now, say you take two churches. There are obviously issues in two different churches. I mean, people have their are broken, their sin, but in one church may be more cop accountability, more shame-based. The other may be more grace walking with restoration-based. Um, it seems to be that in the shame base, there's much more devastation uh, done in people's lives through, through that type of accountability, much more running, much more uh, humiliation, much more uh, brokenness, very little restoration, um, m- much manipulation going on on this side versus the other. That's my observation. Would, would you agree with that or disagree with that? Yeah. Um Mondo, where where there is shame-based spirituality, um, there's the absence of God. And I don't mean that in terms of a belief system, but but where we're living out of shame and trying harder and trying to manage our sin and manage our lives, we really don't need God. And any man who's been around the Samson Society and who's experienced any kind of brokenness can probably testify this testify to this and, and Nate and I were just talking about this this morning but when you when, when you experience some kind of deep brokenness whatever that might mean it means that you come to the end of yourself it means that you're impoverished it means that you you can't pay your own bill or your own debt so to speak and until you get to that place um, which is usually a place that's very different from the forgiveness of sins then God is not really necessary He's just like a personal assistant. He's just someone to enrich my life. He's someone to help me uh, live my best life now. And in fact, when you're a broken man and you come face to face with your shame, uh, there's nowhere else to go. And uh, so a shame-based life really leads to destruction and performance. And uh, that's, that's opposite from, from knowing uh, the love of Christ. Well, uh, can't thank you enough, Michael, for taking time Absolutely. out of your schedule and coming and spending time with us. This is, thank uh, you for I, having me. Uh, a landmark conversation. I hope the first of many. Uh, surfing for God. Surfing for God. You'll find it on Amazon. Pub date is Jan, Jan, uh, June 5? Uh, June 5 on the shelves. May 9th is my understanding. It'll be available on Kindle Download. Uh, and the subtitle is Surfing for God, Discovering Divine Desire Beneath Your Sexual Struggle. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks for having me. Until next and if, time. Hmm? And if you would like to send a letter with a question or a oh, topic, yeah. oh yeah, yes, you should send it to SamsonPodcast at gmail.com. Was it okay to say that in the deeper voice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, right. the Pirate Man. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> cool, Until next time, Nate, Mondo, and Aaron saying goodbye from the Pirate Monk Podcast. To renew your